And we looked at this, we started off in the, in the book of Jeremiah 29 11. I know the hands that the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord, to give you a hope and a future. We looked at how God had brought them off into captivity, and when he brought them to a place against their will, that he said, uh, I want you to build houses, I want you to plant vineyards, I want you to have children and get married, get married and have children. Uh, it's normally the other way around these days, but that's the way he told them, get married and have children and, and uh, pray for the welfare of the people that brought you into captivity and are holding you against your will. Pray for their peace. Pray for their prosperity. And, man, when you look at that passage, it's difficult. I'm just going to tell you, I, 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 it's difficult. When you look at that passage in the light of where we are today, when everybody has thinks the First Amendment has all to do with about being offended now today and not what the First Amendment was really about. And you see that God brings them to a place against their will and he says, I want you to, put, I want you to make a difference right here. I want you to bless this area. Let your life bless this area and when we think about that in that context and what God is saying we went to the book of Mark and we've been there for the last several weeks and we're going to go there again and uh matter of fact brother Danny asked me earlier this week he said how many how many sermons can you have out of one chapter Mark 5 and uh we're looking at the story of the Gadarean demoniac whose life had no value and it had so little value that uh, they just banished him to the cemetery. And I tell you, there's probably another sermon series coming up soon just on how little the Gadarean demoniac valued himself. Because he was so powerful that chains and shackles could not hold him back. But yet, a man that could not be constrained kept himself in the boundaries of the cemetery. Because he so had such little value plate that he put on his own life. Today I want to talk to you about how what the faithful presence looks like. Now there's two words that people don't think very much about anymore. Okay? Number one, faithful. How many of you know people are just really fired up about being faithful? Not a whole lot. You know, previous generations put a lot of stock into faithfulness. Whether you were happy or not was irrelevant. You were faithful. I love that verse in Timothy that says that God is faithful even when we are not. Another word that we really don't understand anymore in our, in our world that we live in is to be present. To have presence there. There are so many today that understand what it means for their body to be in a space and occupying that space, but they don't understand what it's like to be there. Not just physically, but to be there emotionally, to be there intellectually, to be there with their whole being. Matter of fact, you may remember on the first sermon that I preached here, I, one of the first questions we asked was this. How many of you has ever had somebody 
that was talking to you or you were talking to somebody was the question. How many of you were talking to somebody but you felt like they just weren't listening? Now, I'm not asking you that question today, but it was our first question we ever asked. Like, you're, you're talking, but they're not listening. Now, there's one guy, I mean, I love him to death, but he never listens to anything you say. Because he's automatically thinking about the next thing. Like he, he's, he's already answering the question that you're asking. He don't even know what the answer is. Anybody know anybody like that besides me? I had a guy in my office this week, uh, Pastor Lance, and I was talking to him. And, and uh, man, this happened. I said something to him that he wanted to hear. And he didn't hear anything I said. And I said it again, and he didn't hear anything I said. And finally he said, well, if you're not going to help me, I'll just go to another church that will help me. I said, no, wait, number one, why are you here? Like, how did you find out about us and track us down? He said, well, so-and-so told me about you. If there's anybody that would help me, that you would. Now, if your friend on the street sent you to us, then don't you think you ought to stop thinking and start listening? He said, and man, finally... We went around, and he said, well, that's exactly what I want. I said, well, that's what I said three times. But he was so hearing not what I was saying, but what he was thinking that I was saying, that he wasn't even intellectually engaged into the conversation I was having. Now, those are two things that are interesting because people are there. I mean, they are there. They, they are there in their neighborhoods, but they are not there. They are there at their work, but they are not there. Do you do realize that this sermon series has a lot to do with everyday life more than just where you live? I mean, like, that you're present. That you're present. And you're engaged in your work and you're engaged in the place where your children are playing whether no matter what the sport may be that you're that you're engaged there and not just showing up at the little league and sitting there on the bleachers and saying I like kind of like the old got country song it said still doing time a lot of you think going to your children's events or you know I mean like we're, we're so moving on. We're so at the next place. Our mind is already over here and our body is still here. Kind of like when most preachers preach. I mean, you're already make, you're moving on to lunch or brunch if you're at this service. And, you know, you're thinking about this afternoon. To be, to be faithful and to be present is the two of the most misunderstood words today. Now, when we put those together, this preacher's lost his ever-loving mind. You're scratching your head thinking, what is he saying? What is faithful presence? What is faithful presence? Well, here we see it in this passage of Scripture. Jesus healed this Gadarean demoniac. Last week we looked at this sermon. And uh, matter of fact, the sermon had to do with the, the value on his life and, and uh, how the people of the city was dealing with this Gadarean demoniac. But they really didn't want to pay the price for him to be made whole. Because when they found out that what Jesus had done with all their little pigs. And uh, that those little piggies were not going to be going to the market. That uh, they asked him to leave. And it says they saw that Gadarean demoniac sitting there clothed in his right mind. They asked Jesus, could you please leave our region? 
Now, let me give this to you, and i got to move on here. Think about this guy where he was located. His life was so messed up that they banished him to the cemetery. And then when his life finally was made whole because of Jesus, but yet the cost was it ended up, the pigs ended up occupying the demons. And in this passage of Scripture, what was interesting, when the demons all ran headlong and jumped off the cliff and into the ocean or into the sea there in the lake and drowned, they said, could you please leave our region? So, so here, get this right here. You've you got to get this or you won't understand today's sermon. For the first time in his, a long time, we don't know how long, this man was clothed in his right mind and life was actually worth living. And everybody who had no value or no, found no value in him came to Jesus and said, it wasn't worth the price. Now, could you please leave our region? Now, do you have that? Because now, the good thing about Jesus is every time he was, most of the time, he would say this statement, come follow me. Come follow me. Come follow me. So that Gadarene demoniac thinking, for the first time in my life, I found somebody that loves me. I found somebody that cares for me. I found somebody that values me. I found somebody who has made me whole. And these people don't like me. These people don't want me. Boy, finally, finally, a new day has begun. And so here's what it says in verse 18. And when he had got in the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus that he might go with him. So here's where we are. They asked Jesus to leave. Jesus says, okay, I'm going. Jesus goes and gets in his little boat. And then when he gets in the boat, you, you know, you got this visual here. You've ever seen people get in a boat. They get in a single-file line, and one at a time, they're stepping into the boat, and it's rocking, and... This is happening, and Jesus gets in the boat, and his disciples are getting in the boat, and all of a sudden, here comes a Gadarean demoniac, and he's getting in the boat. And Jesus turns around and says, the most peculiar thing to him, the man who had spent most of his ministry saying, come follow me, says, I want you to stay and practice faithful presence he said that's not what it says well let me read you literally what it says it says and the one who was demon possessed began to beg him that he might go with him verse 19 however jesus did not permit him but he said to him go home to your friends now this really isn't a good translation because that man didn't have a whole lot of friends it literally means in the greek go home to your people Go home to your people. To my people. My people banished me to the island of the cemetery. And tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how he has had compassion on you. And he departed. That being the he being Jesus. Departed. and I mean the, the Gadarene demoniac departed and began to proclaim in all of his area what Jesus had done for him. And everybody began to marvel.
What Jesus was telling this man was what the Bible teaches in Proverbs 27 and 10, where it says, better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. The interesting thing about this dynamic is that Jesus was saying, come follow me. We have a go and tell gospel, not a come and see. He says, go into all the world, go into Jerusalem, go into Samaria. Uh, go into Judea, go into all the world and tell the greatest story in all the world. Matter of fact, we are sitting here today because of a group of ragamuffin followers of Christ who literally took the gospel throughout the world, throughout the world. And when we think about this dynamic and what he is saying here that is so interesting is we have to understand that with this dynamic of of of. Of, of, of spiritual ministry, the ministry of the gospel. Matter of fact, when we think about missions, we think in a global context. Matter of fact, people will use up all their vacation or use a portion of their vacation. They will use up a good bit of their resources to be global. And we do that. I'm not saying that's wrong. But what I am saying is we have developed a mindset of missional living that has to be abroad, yet what makes the person across the ocean more valuable than the person across the street? You see, what is global for us is local for somebody. Can I say that again? What is global for us that you have to stamp your passport to get to is local for somebody else. When we stamp our passport and we go to Peru and we see our church family there, when we get there, we're in another country. Matter of fact, we're in another season. We're entering into our winter. They're entering into their summer. But you know what? That's home to them. It's not global for them. It's local. It's local. And Jesus begins to tell us an interesting dynamic. In the early church, the believers were recognized as a loving community. Somehow along the way, I believe we have lost that art. The early church was, as a matter of fact, they were communal in their living. It didn't work out very well. I mean, they were selling all they had and bringing it to the, to the, to the apostles and saying, let's do life together in the book of Acts. The early believers recognized that the church had to be a loving community. But yet somehow along the way, the community has lost a lot of the loving. Matter of fact, I have spent this week having some conversations with different people in different circles of influence, some in the, in, in the political, some in the, 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 the city, some in, the, in, in that dynamic about what our city looks like, what we're moving towards, how can we make a difference, some in the spiritual with other pastors. And the interesting dynamic is this, that as we sit here today and we gather here for our services, we must realize that within a 10-minute commute of this building by vehicle, there are over 80,000 people who are unchurched. Over 80,000 people who are unchurched. Over 80,000. On any given Sunday, there's about 30,000 that gather in the name of Jesus and worship in every denomination available that is, 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 is in the Christian uh, dynamic. There's about 30,000. Do you realize that there are more that do not gather than there are that do? And somehow along the way, we have, we have come up with this new dynamic that we're, 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 we have a dynamic that 
is not really New Testament. Because we are to invest our life. Now Jesus told all these people, come follow me. But he looked at this man whose life was so broken. And for the first time, it was whole. And he said, stay and tell. Stay and tell. We just got through singing the song earlier. Look what the Lord had done. I'm telling you, if that's not a picture of what Jesus did, he walked into the enemy's camp in the middle of that cemetery. Gathered up that Gadarean demoniac who was so broken, he was running around naked and cutting himself. Was so overwhelmed with demons by the thousands. Delivered him from the spiritual tyranny that he was living under. And now he's clothed and in his right mind. I'm telling you, Jesus went down to the enemy's camp. And he told that Gadarean demoniac, would you go and tell your people? Just show up. You won't even have to say anything. If they just see you dressed, they'll know something's happening. And there he was, going and saying, look what the Lord has done. When we think about this dynamic, what God is saying to us reminds us of the story of St. Patrick that we talked about early on in this sermon series. How he was taken as a prisoner and he was stole away and for 14 years. And it wasn't, it wasn't until he finally broke free and slipped away and made it back to his mother country. But when he would go to bed at night, all he could think about was the people of Ireland. So much that he got back on a little, uh, a little, a little boat and he went back to Ireland, the place where he'd been enslaved physically and said, I'm going to live here as a free man. The church didn't want anything to do with him. They wouldn't accept him. And so he began to preach the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the taverns and the clubs and all of those things. The place where people had questionable reputations and somehow along, somehow another we got green beard. That's what St. Patrick is all about. Kiss me, I'm Irish. We're talking about a man. It was so captivated by the people who had held him captive that he said, I'm going back. And then he spent the rest of his life as a free man telling the greatest story in all the world. Sometimes what we need to do is just start right at home. Loving your place, loving your people will lead to the contextualization of your ministry. You know, you have a ministry. If you're a believer, you have a ministry. You've been empowered by God. You have that your ministry and your methods will begin to work right where you are. And it will begin to cause value to be added to your place, to your neighborhood, to your work, to your, your extracurricular activities will begin to have value. When you begin to value faithful presence right where you are. When you think about this, we begin to realize that it becomes very interesting of what God is saying. I want to ask you our first question today, and I don't want you to give me the Sunday school answer. You know what that means, right? It's kind of like this little boy, the Sunday school teacher kept asking him all these questions, and he never knew the answer to him. And so when they went to a bathroom break, his buddy said, man, you want to know how I never missed the answer to the question? He said, yeah, I'm tired of getting them all wrong. He said, just say Jesus. He said, he's the answer to everything. She asked you a question, just say Jesus. Some of you will get that at lunch. But. And that dynamic, what he was saying is, 
I'm not looking for this Jesus answer. I'm not looking for flattery. I'm looking for honesty. Matter of fact, I didn't even want to ask this question. And the other pastor said, no, you need to. And here's the, here's the question. Your church, Family of Grace, or if you're visiting or watching at home, the place that you call home or your faith community, do you feel that that place, that church, exists in your community? Like, does your, does, your, does your community exist for the church, or does your church exist for the community? Now, here's what you do. It's just A or B. You just pick which one you think it is. So it's a simple question here. My church that I call home, I mean, do I feel that, it ex- that, that the dynamic is the community? Does the community exist for the church, or the church exists for the community? Which one is it? I mean, it's an interesting dynamic because our churches are occupying space in all of our communities. Yet we are having conversations more and more and more about what do we do with all the church buildings that are closing down. Yet there's 80,000 unchurched people. And yet when we think, when we have churches that will finally reach a thousand and they break the thousand barriers and they want to tell everybody else how to do it and they think they finally arrived and I would love to have a thousand people here but I'm not interested in how many sitting here listening to me to preach but how many are we touching throughout the week in life groups and doing life at your work and your place where you play and your neighborhood and in those areas how many people are we touching you see I believe the honest answer to this question is that most churches think the community exists for them because if it didn't, it would result in a different metric system, a different way that we calculate things. It would, the whole dynamic would be different. Do we really gather to bring his kingdom on earth or do we gather to bring our kingdom to our neighborhood? Because the two look absolutely different. Can I tell you, do you realize that we are asking people to volunteer three days a week for Cultivate Ministry? Do you realize they're there from 3.30 to 5.30, three days a week? Do you realize that if I'm trying to grow a church, that's probably not the smartest way to invest the greatest assets of people? But what I want you to understand is when we scratch our head and we think this question, matter of fact, I, was had, I made this statement before church. Here, here's what I fear the most is that we have reached a place in our society where we are so different in the way that we think that I can no longer hardly comprehend the way people think what they think and they can't comprehend why I think what I think. Like it blows their mind that I would put two words together and say faithful and present in the same phrase faithful presence but i'm telling you that if you want to change the culture of a nation then you bring heaven to earth how are you going to do that doing life with people doing life why do we go to three days a week because it went from 
just doing a project and checking a box and saying, let's help these kids to let's do life with them. You know what that little girl, that little girl who gave her testimony on the video? Right now our, our tutoring and cultivate only goes to the fifth grade. You know why she came back as a sixth grader? She said, I know there's not a space for me, but could I please just listen to the kindergartners read? Do you know why she came back and said that? Because she said, this is the three greatest days of my week. Is it because of us? No, but it's because somebody's doing life with her and valuing her. That's how you change lives, little by little, moment by moment, holistic ministry that says, yes, I want you to go to heaven, but yes, I want you to be successful in the physical realm. Yes, I want you to be successful in the emotional realm. Yes, I want you to be successful in the intellectual realm. I love you, all of you, not just your spiritual component. I'm afraid the church is so consumed by just helping people get to heaven that we have forgot that we're empowered to make disciples. And a disciple who is not healthy cannot really make healthy disciples. Can, can I say that again? I might not even get through this message today. But we have been so consumed with reproducing numbers that we have not reproduced health. What does a healthy, functional family even look like anymore? We don't even know. Somebody's got to care about people. Spiritually. Yes. Where will they spend all of eternity? But that's just the edge of the water. We normally say, come down here and say this little prayer with us and invite Jesus into your heart and everything's going to be great and you're going to be more than a conqueror through Him who loves you. And then they go home and life is bombarding them on every turn and they have no example of what godly, biblical, sold-out believers look like and then we wring our hands and say, I don't understand why our world's like it is. Our world is in the shape it's in. Our nation, forget our world, our nation is in the shape it's in because the church has been intrigued with the concept of wonderlust. What will it look like when we get to this place, when we get to this level? Oh my gosh, can you imagine when we get to 1,000? Can you imagine when we get to 5,000 and 10,000? You know what keeps me up at night? It's not that we don't have more people here. What keeps me up at night is that I have been commissioned to be the pastor of this area and that our city is in a mess and that we are not reproducing healthy, functional families. You say, well, pastor, how do you do that? Well, maybe you just start with the younger generation. Kindergarten's not too early to begin to shape a godly biblical worldview that centers around the power of the resurrection and that flows into every area of their life. You know why we don't want to demonstrate that in the church? Because we don't demonstrate it in our own life. Because our churches have become... A mile wide and an inch deep. 
keeps me up at night is not how to get more here, but how to grow the ones that are already here. The biggest failure of my ministry is FOGU. We have all this discipleship curriculum. I've recently been in conversations with other people about what it looks like to disciple people and really take this thing to the deeper level. It's sitting there. It's on the shelf. It's ready. But there's no space left to do it. No time left to do it. People don't have time. And it's the greatest thing they need. You know what keeps me up at night? Is it two weeks ago we asked a question on our poll everywhere? And over 50% of the people that sit in these congregations in both services week in and week out say, I do not understand my purpose in life. And that wasn't kids that were answering that question because your kids are in the back. They're in our Elevate Children's Ministry. We're talking about functional adults that do not understand what it means to be a healthy adult. You know what keeps me up at night? Is God help me not just to pastor people, just to say I'm doing it, but Lord God, please let my life count. You know what kept St. Patrick awake at night? Was the people who held him captive and he began to say they're missing the mark. They're missing the mark. They don't understand what I understand. They don't understand what I understand. And oh God, help us to get to the place of the church of a living God. That what keeps us up at night is the men and women and boys and girls that don't understand what healthy, functional disciple look like, looks like for Jesus Christ. Well, I'll give you these three points and you can write them down. If you're going to practice faithful presence, then we must, first of all, embrace it. If we are going to practice faithful presence, then we must push past surface relationships. And we must change the paradigm. So that we can do what God sent us here to do. Which is to change our community. You do realize we're in need of a change of paradigm. And I'm not just talking about do we do traditional church or modern. I'm talking about the paradigm of what a disciple looks like. The paradigm of what a family looks like. The paradigm of what a healthy community looks like. Do you feel like our church is changing our community paradigm? Do you? Yes or no? I don't. I think we're giving it our best shot. But you know what? Sometimes you got to do better than giving it the old college try. Because that didn't get me very far. You got to have some commitment. If we are really changing the paradigm, then where's the product? Now, I believe we're changing lives. I believe we are. I mean, there was a testimony earlier about that. That little girl's life's changed. 
let me just come back here three days. Can I just hang out here three days a week? Two? Can, I, can, can I just come here six hours a week? You don't have to teach me anything. Can I, can I just be in this safe place, in a loving environment? I believe we're changing lives. But it's going to take a lot longer to change paradigm. To change community. We've got to get further down the road before we can take a section of the community and say that community is different because we've been there. Quantity does not equal change of paradigm. We've got to push past that. When you think about this dynamic... The journey towards faithful presence is so unique because you have to abandon everything you basically previously have been entertaining. If you're going to take this journey and embrace faithful presence, then you know what you have to do? And gosh, Alan put it this way in the book. You must start to glory in the mundane. I'm a farm boy. That's all I ever wanted to be. Somehow God wouldn't let me do that. And I've always associated the agricultural world with what I do here. And we sow and we sow and we water and we cultivate and we fertilize and we tend to. And we look and in six months there's no harvest. What the Lord showed me Just this week, I was praying over point number two, and I was saying, God, I don't understand this point. Can I just be honest with you? I'm preaching, I'm saying, Lord, I'm having a hard time with glorying in the mundane. And he said to me, he said, son, you've been been looking at the wrong crop. He said, you've been looking at grain harvest. And I'm trying to teach you about a timber harvest. They put one little seed in the ground of a pine seedling. And it takes 14 years before they ever get a decent harvest. And normally the first harvest is something simple like they call it a thinning. Let me thin it out. So that the other trees can start breathing and growing. It may just take a matter of minutes to grow a mushroom. But it takes 60 years to grow a live oak of substance. And I think in the church. And I'm guilty of this. Matter of fact just this week. This is why I'm telling you what God's speaking to my heart this week. I look and I say Lord but there's no harvest. We've been doing this for six months. Lord why isn't there harvest? And he said son we're not talking about grain. We're not talking about mushrooms. We're talking about timber. Now, if it takes 14 years to get a decent start at a timber crop, family of grace is only in year number 10. Faithful presence. Faithful presence. I believe just about the time God starts to get ready to move, we say it's not working. Let me abandon course. When I wrote down the, the 
model of family of grace and the fundamental tenets years ago of what this ministry would look like, one of the things that I had down there was the word life groups. Doing life everywhere. And there's been seasons in the life of Family of Grace where we've called them life groups, we've called them missional communities, we've called them house churches, we've called them about everything you could think of. And there's been times where they've done pretty good. There's been times where they've done really bad. And they've really struggled. But I go back and I look at that napkin and I say, but God, this is one of the things you spoke to me, that we have got to do life in every aspect of our city so that we can begin to shape people. And I staying there in the mundane and trying to find glory in it and saying, but God, and you know what? For the first time in 10 years, I feel like we finally have good direction. Is there a lot of fireworks around it? No, there's not. Is there a lot of hype around it? No, there's not. There's not Jesus marketing 101 that we're pushing towards it. But I can tell you that lives are beginning to be changed. Direction is in the, in, in the right way. And what we must do on this journey towards faithful presence is that we must understand that wherever we land, that's where God wants wants to begin to work in our life. And he looked at this Gadarean demoniac and he said, son, you can't go with me. Go back to your people and tell them what I have done. Are we looking for ways to stay or go? One of the biggest golden calves that we bow down to in our Western Christianity is the future. The future. We are so distracted by the future that we're disconnected from the present. Oh, boy, when I get there, when I get to that other job, I'm not just talking about where you live. You can stay in the same city, but we're so captivated by the next job. You know what? I just got to do time here. I, I just got to do... I got to build up my resume wonder what would happen if you went to that job where you're just trying to build up a resume and you tried to make that place successful. And you gave it your best. Holistic approach. Physically. Spiritually. I mean, intellectually. I mean, emotionally. You pushed through and you said, you know what? I'm going to do it. If I'm a teacher, I'm, a, I'm not just going to do my teach grant and sign off and then go find another school that's, that's cool. Or I'm going to... I'm gonna I'm sorry, let me, let me wrap up here. Discouragement is not a sign of being in the wrong place. Write this down. Discouragement is not a sign of being in the wrong place. It's a sign of being human. Jeremiah was predestined to preach. That's what it says. Jeremiah 1.1, 1, 1, when I was in my mother's womb, he set me apart. <laughs> but he was predestined to almost fail. I mean, if you judge, he didn't fail because he did everything God set him out to do. But if, if they judged him, Jeremiah the prophet, according to all, I mean, against Elisha or Elijah, if he judged himself according to Elijah, he'd think, oh, man, I'm a failure. You think he's a failure? Walk into your contemporaries and say, hey, guys, we're going into bondage for 70 years. But the good news is God said to build houses, plant vineyards, get married and have babies. Oh, by the way, 
The guy who tarred and feathered our king, could you pray for his prosperity? Could you pray for his peace? Be a little bit like the debacle we're talking about today. The stimulating and blowing up your social media timeline, stuff of irrelevance. Everybody's saying, well, I feel this way. I feel that. Poor Jeremiah. They call, he wrote the book of Lamentations. They call him the weeping prophet. The weeping prophet. Last thing, and I'll let you go. I don't know more out of time, but if you're going to embrace faithful presence, you must glory in the mundane. And then, my last point, write this down. You must understand the miracle, and I say miracle, heavy on the word miracle. Matter of fact, could you write it in all caps? The miracle of blooming in your hood. You live in the hood. That's why you call it neighborhood. Could you start blooming right there? We want God to give us something better. And I'm not saying God doesn't move people around. Please don't leave here and say that. I know there are seasons in people's lives where he moves people around. He moves them to new stations. But until he does, that you give it all you got. We're trying to get to the next place, but we, and I'm capital W-E because I'm in this, I don't want to really be faithful with where I'm at. But he said unto me, if you can't be faithful with a little, how will you be faithful with much? Ministering with Jesus is, is the descent into humility and not an ascent into influence. Yet we look at it the other way around. Do you, embrace, do you embrace faithful presence? Or is the mundane stealing all your joy? Are you too scared to build a flower bed in your yard? Because the length of time you're going to stay there is not worth the investment? Are you too scared to really get on the uh, team to make your workplace better? Because you know you're not going to be there long enough to really exhaust the energy and the resources that it takes. Are you scared to help out at your child's little league because you don't have the time? Well, if it's half as hard for you this morning as it was for me, it'll take you about six months to struggle with this. And I still don't have it figured out because I'm human. And that's why I have to die to myself every day. Could you do this in closing? Right there on your smart device or your old school and you have an iron stylist, a piece of paper. Uh, could you just write down what in the mundane is... Sucking the joy out of your life. 
You say, preacher, you're, you're preaching conflicting messages. No, 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 it's all the same. I'm not saying God doesn't move people, but until he does, we need to live, work, pray, invest like he's not. We need to prepare. We need to prepare. We need to prepare. Today, what God is saying to us in a unique way is I want you to have faithful presence as husband and wife, as a single person. I want you to live like a single person with all you got. Don't be bitter and wait to start living after you get married. Who knows, that may never be for you. When you get there, you may realize this whole married thing was overrated. God, I want to be faithful in my marriage. God, I want to be faithful in my home. God, I want to be faithful in my workplace. But God, I want to be faithful to becoming a healthy, functional follower of Jesus Christ. Healthy, functional follower of Jesus Christ. Don't let discouragement steal you from becoming a healthy, functional follower of Jesus Christ. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray you speak to our hearts. God, have your way in our life. Thank you that this Gadarean demoniac had to stay. Stay among people that hated him. Stay among people that found no value in his life. Lord, stay among the people that banished him from society. He was to stay and practice faithful presence among his people and tell all the people what you had done. God, may we take this part of the Gadarean demoniac And apply it to our life. <clears throat> and Lord, until you move us to the next place, may we be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.